James 5, verses 7 through 12. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Verse 10. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath. Let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Last Bible study, uh, we covered what waits for the idolatrous and rich man. He will pass away with his riches. All his material possessions and money that he so worshipped will wither away. The corrosion of his money will be the advocate against him. The cries of the laborers who they oppress will witness against them. They're fattening their hearts for the day of judgment, or more so in their case, a day of slaughter. James also highlighted how they abuse and oppress the righteous man, how he does not resist them. That's just a quick summary of those verses. But that brings us right up to our verses for tonight. So let's get right into them. James 5, verse 7. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it, until it receives the early and late rains. James is expounding more upon what he introduced all the way back in James 1, verses 2 through 4. Uh, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let, this, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be complete, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. He also talked about it uh, just a few verses down in James 1.12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for he has stood the test. He will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Now, uh, aside from the closing prayer at the end, this is the last major subject James covers, being as he introduced it as the first one. Uh, if you remember from the beginning when we started the study, or during the recap, which happened a few weeks ago, I can't remember exactly when it happened, um, James is structured like a sandwich where he introduces the topic to cover it later. And right now, we are at pretty much the bread part of the sandwich, with the prayer at the end being a, a toothpick stuck 
and this pastrami on rye. Um, I would have called it the ham sandwich, but this is a Jewish writing structure. So, you know, we got to stick to the, the, the Jewish sandwiches. Um, <laughs> small jokes aside, um, we're looking at suffering again. Uh, we're, we're going back to it and highlighting back what we looked at in James 1, which I think whenever we went over it in James 1, I quoted some verses from here when talking about it. But before in James 1, uh, we highlighted the joy we ought to have in our suffering. And uh, as it produces steadfastness, how having joy and patience in it produces steadfastness. Now, we're looking at the, the flip side of it in being instead of encouraged to joy, which he has already done, we're being encouraged to patience in suffering. <laughs> Yeah, all jokes aside, we're talking about suffering now. You're right, Graceful. Um, I gotta do what Josh does and not look at chat. It's, it's too distracting. I gotta make comments on it. Um, uh, we can't have joy and produce steadfastness in our suffering if we aren't patient in our suffering. If we're always groaning and grumbling in our suffering, that's... That's not going to lead to joy. You can't be joyous when you're mad at the Lord for your suffering. You can't be joyous when you're not being patient in your suffering. Uh, but James tells us to be patient. Uh, but he also starts off this first verse with saying, therefore. Meaning, he's saying to be patient because of what was previously stated. What was James talking about previously? He's talking about how the rich oppress the righteous and how the righteous do not re resist them. The rich are going to oppress you, righteous man. But guess what? I'm not telling you to go into the streets and riot and demand their head on a platter. That's not what I'm telling you to do. I'm now saying to be patient. He doesn't tell us to get revenge on the rich, but he tells us to be patient. How long are we to be patient for? It is until the coming of the Lord. He says, be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. Well, when does that happen? We don't know. Uh, Jan or Matthew 24, verse 36. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. Well, nobody knows. So what do we do? Uh, we keep moving forward in patience. We may only have to be patient for one day. Maybe one minute, maybe one year, maybe we're patient till the day we die. But we're, we're told to be patient until otherwise, until a certain event happens, which we don't know when it will happen. So we must continue forward in patience. The time frame truly doesn't matter. Uh, we are to continue in patience, even from the oppression of the rich, even when life does not go your way. Uh, or the way that you desire for it to go, and you're suffering, uh, in all types of suffering, we continue forward in patience. Uh, James highlights for us an example of patience. Uh, he highlights the patience of a farmer, saying, See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it, until it receives the early and the late rains. The farmer has to wait for something that is out of his control. The farmer waits for the rain that he cannot cause. In fact, the rains are something that is also in control of the Lord. 
Deuteronomy eleven thirteen through 14. And if you will indeed obey my commandments that I command you today to love the Lord your God and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul, he will give the rain for your land in its season, the early rain and the later rain, that you may gather in your grain, your wine, and your oil. The farmer is patient for that which he is not in control of, but when he does receive, he will receive great reward. He will receive the fruit of the earth. He will be able to receive the, the harvest. He will be able to reap the harvest. We should mimic this type of patience. We ought to continue in patience and continue in following of the word as we wait for the Lord to come. Something which is completely out of our control and something that we don't know when it will happen. There's no exact time written down for when it will happen. We ought to mimic the patience of the farmer and continue in our faith. Uh, James 5.8 You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. James encourages us, like I said, to have the same patience as the farmer. Uh, we have to have the patience that he has when dealing with something that is not in his control. He also tells us to establish our hearts. Now, how do we establish our hearts? First uh, Thessalonians three eleven through 13 Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all, as, for, as we do for you, so that you may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before God and Father, before our God and Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. 2 Thessalonians 2, 16-17 Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who has loved us, gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your heart and establish them in every good work and word. Our hearts rest on the grace of God, and the only way we establish them is by his grace. In both of these verses, the heart establishment is not done by themselves. It's not resting in themselves. Our hearts are strengthened by putting it in the grace of God. Put your faith in the Lord and rest your hearts upon his grace. For the coming of the Lord is at hand. Our hearts are strengthened in and by the grace of God. I mean, what else should we establish our hearts in? Should we establish our hearts in our sinful selves? Should we establish our hearts in the strengthening of our hearts in our own feelings? No. No, those things deceive us. The heart is deceitful above all things. We are to establish our heart, not on itself, but on the grace of God. The very peace we have with God, the very salvation we have, is established upon and rests upon the grace of God. We ought to continue in faith of the Lord and follow his word by his grace. And we ought to patiently wait for the coming of the Lord. Be at peace. Rest on the grace of God. We are at peace with God because we rest upon his grace. Continue in his wonderful and perfect grace until his return. Uh, here is a, a little Spurgeon quote that I think illustrates uh, what we've 
kind of read so far uh, regarding patience and the establishment of your heart until the Lord returns. Uh, he says, quote, When God shall give you a rich return for all you have done for him, you will blush to think you ever doubted. You will be ashamed to think you ever grew weary in his service. You shall have your reward, not tomorrow, so wait, not the next day perhaps, so be patient. You may be full of doubts one day, your joys sink low, it may be rough, windy weather with you and your spirit. You may even doubt whether you are the Lord's. But if you have rested in the name of Jesus, if by the grace of God you are who you are, if he is all your salvation and all your desire, have patience. Have patience, for the reward will surely come in God's good time. End quote. Now, if you've read or heard the terminology of uh, the Lord or the coming of the Lord is at hand, uh, you might be confused when James uses it here because he's using it. And yet here we are 2000 years later. How if the coming of the Lord is at hand, how could James use this type of terminology? How can he use language like that when it seems like the coming of the Lord wasn't nearly within James's lifetime. Um, well, let me attempt to clear it up. Uh, ever since the ascension and promised return of Christ, uh, the coming of the Lord will always be at hand, even if it takes 2,000 more years. The reality of us not knowing whether the Lord will return in one second or in two billion years uh, means that we ought to have the urgency that the Lord is returning tonight. There will always be an urgency to rest upon the grace of God to follow his word, since we don't know his will of when he will return. Just as you can't give assurance of tomorrow, and we ought to plan with the will of the Lord in mind, we ought to rest our planning in the will of the Lord. We covered that two or three weeks ago. We can't give an assurance of time to dilly-dally and play with sin. We can't give assurance that we have time left. So all there is to do is to act with urgency and rest upon the grace of God and follow his word and wait for the Lord to return. Because the time of the Lord is at hand. The coming of the Lord is at hand. We ought to find comfort in his grace. Until then, we ought to wait, resting in his grace, continuing to follow in his word. We do so patiently. We establish our hearts and we wait patiently. James 5 verse 9. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. We as Christians are to be patient and rest on the grace of God for the Lord is at hand. We just covered that. Uh, James also shows us a further implication of the Lord being at hand. It means we ought not to grumble against our brothers and sisters in Christ. The judgment we pronounce over our brother and our grumbling will be pronounced upon yourself. Matthew 7 verses 1 through 2. Judge not that you be not judged. 
For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. We ought not to pronounce judgment on our brothers and sisters by our own standard. And even in our complaining and grumbling. Because in our complaining and grumbling, we are holding them to a standard. We are judging improperly. James paints uh, the picture of who does perfect judgment and his closeness to us. Do not judge by your own standard for the ultimate judge who holds perfection as a standard. is just around the corner. He's at the door and he will enter at any moment. We don't know the moment, but he will enter at any moment. Do not grumble against your brothers and sisters for the Lord is at hand. In fact, standing at the door. Matthew 24, verse 33. So also, when you see all these things, know that he is near at the very gates. 1 Corinthians 4, verse 5. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purpose of the, the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. Show love to your brothers and sisters in Christ. They were bought with the same blood as you, and they rest upon the same grace as you. Do not judge them in your grumbling, for the ultimate judge is standing right at the door. Uh, James 5 verses 10 through 11. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. James earlier pointed us to the farmer's patience. Now he points us to the very patience that we can see in the scriptures. The patience of the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. The prophets who remained steadfast even in times of suffering. Matthew 5 verse 12. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Matthew 23 verse 34. Therefore I send you prophets and wise men and scribes, some of whom you will kill and crucify, some you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town. Acts 7 verse 52. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one whom you have now betrayed and murdered. Hebrews 11, verses 32 through 38. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, I'm going to butcher this one, Jephthah, of David and Samuel, and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. 
Some were tortured, refusing to accept release, so that they may, might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging, and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. The prophets were persecuted, yet they continued to put their faith in the Lord. Those who remained steadfast, we consider them as blessed. Those who remained faithful to the Lord, we consider blessed. For the reward might not be here on earth, but what awaits for them in heaven. James also directs us to look at a specific example. He directs us to look at Job. He directs us to Job's steadfastness. Uh, Job verse 1, no, Job 1 verses 21 through 22. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. Job 2 verse 10. But he said to her, You speak as one of the foolish women who would speak. Shall we receive good from God, and shall we not receive evil? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. You see the steadfastness of Job in his suffering. He did not charge sin. He did not sin nor charge the Lord with evil. Um, he remained steadfast even when his life was crumbling around him. All that he had built up was being taken away even in evil coming upon him, even in the loss, he remained steadfast. Um, James also shows us that we can see the purpose of the Lord in this, uh, in, in Job's example. Uh, Job 42 verse 10, And the Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he prayed for his friends, and the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Job 42 uh, verse 12, and the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning, and he had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camel, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 female donkeys. At the end of suffering, Job received physical blessings. The Lord doubled what he had before. Now, is this a guarantee that the Lord will double our physical blessings after suffering? Not really. It's, it's not a guarantee that our physical blessings will be doubled. However, remaining steadfast in the Lord will eventually lead to rejoicing, whether that be on earth or in heaven. First uh, Peter 5, 9-10 Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered for a little while, the grace or the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will restore, um, will restore, confirm, I think I messed up in my notes here, restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you to be, to him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. James 
after talking about suffering, uh, or the suffering of the prophets, and suffering of Job in particular, and Job's steadfastness, James still here declares, the Lord is compassionate and merciful. It is a truth of scripture. Exodus 34, verses 6 through 8. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the Father uh, on the children and the children's uh, children to the third and fourth generation. Um, God is still merciful. He's still gracious. Even after talking about the suffering of the people who spoke in the name of the Lord, the prophets who came and the prophets who suffered and the prophets who were persecuted and the prophets who died, the suffering of Job, all his things being taken away, his steadfastness after. Even talking about all of those things, all the suffering, he still, James here still says, the Lord is compassionate and merciful. We can see the compassion and mercy of the Lord and his sustaining and eventual blessings given to Job. We can see the compassion and mercy of the Lord and his giving of grace to sinners such as you and I. The Lord saves the people who act contrary to him and brings us into salvation through the suffering, death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Christ on the cross, taking on the wrath of God, experienced far greater suffering than all of these prophets put together. Christ took on the infinite wrath of God meant for his bride. He suffered, and in that suffering, he now shows us mercy and compassion. In our salvation, bringing us to rejoice with him and be in heaven forever with him. He suffered that those prophets who suffered, they are justified in his salvific work. He suffered so that the church may delight in him in heaven forever. He suffered that those who suffered in his name will be able to rejoice, whether that be here on earth, say in the case of Job, where his uh, material possessions were doubled and he was blessed by the Lord, whether that be in heaven. God is full of mercy and compassion. He justifies his people and will bring them into glory in communion with him forever and ever. And the suffering that we may experience on earth will seem such as a blink of an eye in comparison to rejoicing with him for all time. James 5, verse 12. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. James here switches from talking about suffering to inserting uh, a bit of a statement before the ending of his letter, before he gets to the very conclusion of his letter, which concludes with his prayer. Um, 
James here echoes themes from the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Matthew 5, verses 34 through 37. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say simply be yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. James puts heavy emphasis on this issue um, as he gets into it saying, but above all, we ought not to swear by any oath of heaven or by earth. There are a couple of clear implications in this text. Uh, Firstly, we ought not to swear by created things. We ought not put our word on created things. We do not swear by the sun. We do not swear by the earth. We do not swear by cows. We don't swear by trinkets we make or anything like that. Um, We do not swear oaths by those things because those things don't hold any power over us. We do not view those things as God. Yeah, swearing on your mother's grave, what's going to happen if you lie? Is your mom going to crawl out of the grave and come choke you? No. It's not what happens. You, you, there is no reason to do it. The second implication is we ought not to falsely swear, which these things go hand in hand. We ought not to lie and swear falsely to others. Because hand in hand with the first point. Uh, you may have no thoughts of swearing, no second thoughts. No, not swearing isn't a curse. Swearing isn't taking an oath or a vow. Um, we ought not to swear on the sun, because what's the sun going to do if you're lying and deceiving? The sun is not the judge over all of reality who holds you to a standard of perfection. The sun is not your god, and if the sun is your god, then you ought to repent of your idolatry. Um, we ought not try to swear by creative, created things or things that hold no power over us, because the only reason to do that be in order to deceive, in order to lie, in order to cheat others. There is no need to do such a thing. It is very easy to swear falsely when the thing you're swearing to holds no power over you. It is easy to swear falsely when you have no second thoughts about the thing. You can swear on your mother's grave, but there is what's going to happen if you lie. Yeah, your, your mom isn't going to resurrect and slap you. Um, we ought to let our words stand for our character. Uh, let our yes be yes and our no be no. We shouldn't desire to trick, lie, cheat, and steal from others. We as Christians should seek for our words to be trustworthy on their own. Our words should speak for our character. Now, this doesn't mean all vows and oaths are sinful. Um, We do see godly oaths and vows in Scripture. We see Paul do it in Galatians 1.20. I'm writing to you before God, I do not lie. Uh, and Second Corinthians 1, verses 23-24, But I call God to witness against me. It was to spare you that I refrained from coming again to Corinth. 
not that we lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your joy, for you stand firm in your faith. Um, the implication of uh, these verses being it's not inherently sinful to say, take an oath in court if you are not going to lie. Now, I cannot stress the importance of, uh, of how this should be taken, should not be taken lightly. There is, do not take oaths lightly. If you are swearing under God, you ought to be a hundred percent certain of what is going to happen. Example being under court and you are not going to lie. If you lie under oath, the U.S. calls it perjury, but here we'd call it sin. Um, that should be taken with utmost certainty. So you, there is no need to willy-nilly swear an oath over something you are not with a hundred percent certainty sure to come to pass uh we saw the example of this in matthew 5 which i, I read a second ago uh where he says do not swear on your head for you cannot make one hair white or black you cannot you have not 100 percent certainty over what will even happen with your own head You are not 100% certain certain, uh, of what will come to pass. So don't swear on something that will come tomorrow. Do not swear upon the Lord that something will happen tomorrow. Because guess what? You don't know. You have no means of verifying that. (laughs) Sure plus certain equals certain. You're right, Whiskey. so th- I'm only giving this as a clarification for very small use cases such as court and those types of things. Um, there is a reason that James is stating above all else. It is not a light matter to swear to the Lord or swear on the Lord and to lie and deceive. What does this say if you are a Christian swearing upon the name of the Lord, and then you cannot fulfill that, you cannot, um, or you intend to lie or deceive, you are going to, you're falling under condemnation. You will be sinning. You will be lying and seeking to tarnish the character of the Lord in doing so. Very Lord who bought you and justified you and made you new. There's no need to do such a thing. Don't take the Lord's name in vain. That is, it goes all the way back to when we did the Ten Commandments series in the, the tropical study. Um, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Don't seek to swear on anything outside of that. You should... Have your words stand for themselves. Stand for your character. Do not lie, deceive. Do not swear falsely in order to lie and deceive. Do not swear oaths of what you are not sure will come to pass. 
or what you think may happen or what you guess may happen. You're just lying and deceiving. You are speaking ill of the character of the Lord. Do not swear on anything. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. In conclusion, have patience in your suffering, knowing that suffering produces steadfastness. We suffer for a little while, and then we'll be rejoicing forevermore in heaven. Rest upon God's grace. Establish your hearts upon God's grace, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Continue to follow the Lord. Continue to seek to glorify the Lord. Man, I am, I am stumbling over my words. Seek to glorify the Lord. Seek to follow his word. Seek to be a doer of the word. Be patient in your suffering, knowing that it will only be for a little while. Look to the prophets who we count as blessed and see their patience in suffering. See the, the steadfastness, steadfastness of Job. The Lord blessed him, and whether or not the blessings will happen on earth or in heaven, the Lord will bless you and you will be rejoicing. Maybe not with material possessions, but rejoicing in heaven forever and ever, the Lord. Praise the Lord and give him glory in all things. Praise the Lord for his salvation of man. Praise the Lord uh, in us being able to rest upon his grace. Praise the Lord that he suffered so that we may rejoice with him for eternity. Give glory to God in our patience. Give glory to God in following his word. Give glory to God in all the things that we do. Praise the Lord and give glory to God in all things. All right. That is all I have for these verses. Is there any uh, questions before I close this in prayer? You can either type it in chat or raise your hand. Graceful. Already raising his hand. Let's see how many tries it gets to get him up here. Round two, second hand raise. Is it enough? It's not enough. Spicy water's raising his hand. Is your friend gonna go before you, Graceful? He's not coming up either. Y'all are just, uh, y'all are juking me out. Pledge of Allegiance. That is, um, Jack, oh, Jack, Jack's here. Oh, put the headphones on, put the headphones on. Okay. Oh, through Hello. his mic. Hello. Oh, man, I'm getting bad echo. Yeah, so, um, so about like taking oaths, taking oaths and stuff. Um, what, uh, say like if you were to sign a government document, say if you want to join the military and then make you sign an oath of allegiance to your country, is that, 
good or is that different than say um i don't know someone uh i don't know you're promising someone something and you say i swear i'll give it back or you know whatever so is uh i guess it might depend on how the oath is structured um it it would it would depend on that of what are you swearing upon or are you just is it just a vow to continue to serve the country or to um have allegiance to the country uh like I, i'm not sure about the exact wordage of it i suppose uh i'm not a hundred percent sure um, it would very much depend on what you are swearing by, or if you're having to swear by anything at all. Do you vow to stick with the legions with our country as you were in the military? Yes, that's, yeah, I do sign the document. That is a vow that you've made, and that is where you less, let your yeses be yeses and your noes be noes. That vow is still you vowing to be allegiance or to be yeah allied with the country as you're part of the military or serving the country as you're part of the military uh what i would not sign would be do you vow upon your dog that you're going to be in the military do you swear upon your dog do you, do you swear upon whatever thing is happening that you will continue to serve this country or have allegiance with the country as you're serving it. So I think it, it might kind of depend on what the vow is structured like. And do you plan to be allied with the country? If, if yes, while you're serving, then yes. But you, you ought to let your yeses be yeses and your noes be noes, even, I guess, in that scenario. Um, I'm not sure if there's any more clarification that I could give for the Canadian military. But, oh wait, I think Whiskey said something. I do solemnly swear I will support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic, that I will bear a true faith and allegiance to do the same, that I will obey the orders of the President of the United States and the orders of officers appointed over me. Um, according to regulations and uniformity code of military justice so help me god if you plan to do that to the best of your ability then i would say that's not a bad vow to take but i'm also not 100 percent sure your, your mic's also muted I'm, I'm not sure if you've been talking or responding I have not. I've been uh, listening. Okay. Um, I had another question. What is the uh, other question? They specifically for the Canadian military. They they. I I tried to join the reserves a while ago. Uh, I was denied for like medical reasons, but and I was only temporary. But the um, one of the things they asked you in the oath was um, like that you would put a what put away all beliefs and do basically what the country tells you to what do you think about that to put away all beliefs it's talking about political or religious 
Okay, one second. Houston, I got put on Joel's headphones. Okay. So, like, beliefs, religious beliefs, political beliefs, whatever. Basically, they asked you to they ask you to put away all beliefs, uh, and just basically follow orders for the country. Um, so you wouldn't have any bias, and you would just do what the country tells you to. Um, that's what that's one of the oaths you have to make in the Canadian military, uh, and that's kind of cringe. But what what do you think? Uh, I, uh, yeah, I think it's cringe. I don't know. I don't think I'd personally take that vow. I, are you going to put away your beliefs? Well, this is being recorded, so um, maybe after we can talk about that. But I, I, okay. I wouldn't. But okay, it's if you if you don't plan. That might put you in a, a tough spot for that, and we could probably talk about this more later. I guess I'm not, I'm kind of answering on the spot, but that's, um, if the wording of it is for you to abandon your Christianity, to be in the military, I would, I would definitely say, might want to think about that a bit. That's, um... If that is what they're asking you to do, is that like word for word abandon your beliefs? Uh, it's basically meant to as like a way to. I don't remember the exact wording. It was like a year ago or so. It was so the government could reinforce their tyranny. <laughs> um, <laughs> thank you, Joel. But it's like um, uh, it's basically a way so you wouldn't have bias when walking into a situation, which in itself is impossible, but um, that's what they're trying to do anyways. Okay. Yeah. Um, if it's like you're phrasing it, I would be very, very hesitant to sign something like that if, if you are not going to put away your Christianity. And if okay. a vow, I, it would be ironic if they had it like the military of saying, so help me God, if the vow requires you to put away beliefs, but I'm not, I'm not quite sure how that fits in. That'd probably be a discussion we'd have to have with the, with having the, the oaths in front of you that you can exactly read in. Also off record, <laughs> not recorded. Okay. Okay. Thank yeah. You. Yeah. No problem. Whiskey's raising his hand. You can come up here, Whiskey. Hello, Whiskey. Oh, okay. Hello. How's it going? It's going good. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm good. Well, I was I was gonna speak to that and yeah, kind of say like for the American military, like it's it's essentially we have our we're allowed to have our religious beliefs and that comes before um, the more secular stuff, right? Like what the government wants you to do. So and that's why conscientious, conscientious objectors are removed from the military, right? Because, you know, if you're in and then you become religious and you believe that um, killing is a sin, which is, you know, a, a misnomer, but we'll, we'll skip over that for now. But if you believe that killing is a sin, you, you don't want to do it, then the military will say, okay, too easy. We'll just have you separated from the military because we we're not going to force you to do something that's against your um, your religious beliefs. So I think that if the oath requires that you remove your religiosity in order to, to join, I'd say that's probably 
probably mega mega cringe for sure <laughs> I, I do appreciate the the input it's it's helpful hearing that from the whatever the united states military but mega cringe is just such a funny phrase <laughs> i couldn't think of anything better so i just went with it that's that's fair enough okay i go now okay thank you for for your input whiskey um i think i saw a question from uh emmanuel uh, about the doctor's plague uh not plague the doctor's pledge uh it would probably definitely depend on how the you're talking about like the hippocratic oath or you what 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 exactly are you referring to with the with the doctor's pledge the hippo oath yes Gordison, the hippo oath Well, there is an oath you must take as a doctor. I didn't know there was more than one. I just thought the Hippocratic Oath. I mean, I'm not sure the exact details of how many oaths a doctor must really take. Um, that'd be, I think, an example of a oath not... Is, is the Hippocratic Oath sworn upon the Lord? I'm not, oh, I swear by Apollo the physician, oh, oh man, hold on, oh God, you have to swear by Apollo the physician? That's not good. Um. According to my ability to judgment, just it was do no harm. Told who taught me this art dear to me as my parents and a partner. Um, uh, yeah, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not exactly sure. It it might depend on. <laughs> If they're exactly making you say or swear upon Apollo the physician and swear upon these other people and things, I'm not sure if there's a, a ability to adjust it <laughs> to not swear upon false gods because it makes you and says to swear dot 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 upon or swear by dot 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 all the gods and goddesses as my witness I'm not sure I would say probably an averaged person can I just well it depends on your response I guess I'm not exactly sure how the Hippocratic Oath is taken if I'm being a hundred percent honest just don't be swearing by Gods and goddesses. <laughs> I agree. Uh, 
Wait, Boneless had a question as well. So if you fail to keep your swears tree as a sin, can that be forgiven? I mean, yeah, it can. There, there is. It's not an unforgivable sin. It's just still sin. Don't take it lightly, even if you may perceive it as lightly, which is kind of probably how the people who receive this letter would receive it as lightly, or that thing as lightly. Yeah, and James puts a very serious tone on it. So just because it is something that can be forgiven in Christ doesn't then mean that you should continue on and say, oh, that's it's whatever then. That's not how we treat sin. Yeah, it's not... It's not how we treat sin. It's something that ought to be repented of. Like if you are consistently taking the Lord's name in vain or swearing by things. Yeah. Yeah, no problem. Um, is there any other questions before I pray for us? Anyone raising their hand? They're not. Okay. Let me pray for us. It can be done. Lord, um, I thank you for this time that we've been able to uh, study, been able to read your word, Lord. Um, I just pray that we'll be able to go throughout our weeks um, not forgetting your word, Lord, but that we will continue to follow your word and continue to keep it in mind, Lord. And continue to be doers of the word that we will uh, go on and that we will read your word daily, pray to you, Lord, and just give you glory in all things, God. Um, I just pray that we'll uh, be patient in our suffering and that we will uh, rest our hearts, establish our hearts upon your grace, Lord, that we will be able to delight in you and rejoice in you and be patient even in our sufferings, Lord. Um, I just pray for all these things in your wonderful and holy name. Amen. Amen.